millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma with Garth and Caroline Gustafson. They are the leader of YWAM's work in Cambodia. YWAM, as our longtime listeners know, Youth with a Mission, one of our strategic partners here at Voice of the Martyrs. Garth and Caroline, welcome. Thanks so much, Todd. It's such a privilege to be with you. As I talk with people who are in mission service, I like to start at the beginning. Like, how did God grab a hold of you with this idea? I don't want you to stay in America. I want you to go to Cambodia. I want you to go across the ocean. How did God kind of plant that seed in your life and then bring you into now we're we're 20 plus years down the road? Yeah, 20 years ago, I got involved with YWAM, not at all thinking that I would be in ministry or missions just for five months between doing my bachelor's degree and going to grad school. And needless to say, grad school didn't happen. So (laughs) this journey, as so much of life is, right, just journeying with Jesus, uh, God took me on a journey showing me more of his heart for the nations. I went to India and really encountered, man, if God has a heart for the nations and this is the reality of the world, and I really believe what the Bible says, then everything in my life has to change. And so that was the beginning of probably a three or four year journey. And then I went to Cambodia and God started to speak to me about opportunities there. And then about four years later, moved there. So that's just a a little bit of a peek. How how far into your five-month commitment were you when you realized— Five months is not going to be enough for this. Like, like this is going to be much longer than five months. Well, like so often with so many of us, I resisted it for a long time, right? <laughs> so I would say after five months, I knew that God was calling me to come back and serve with YWAM. But then I did the negotiating deal with God. Yeah. You know how it is? Okay, I'll, I'll come back for a year and then I'll go to grad school. And so, you know how God is so gentle with us, right? He leads us step by step and he knows what we can handle. And so I came back for a year. And so I would say to your question, it was probably a little over a year and a half before I was like, okay, God, I'm all in. And I felt like he was saying, I'm not going to take you back to grad school. I'm going to train you here for the nation. So it was definitely a journey of about a year and a half. Caroline, how about you? I actually went to do um, a missionary training school with YWAM as soon as I graduated high school, kind of like a gap year. And honestly, I always thought I'd live within a one-mile radius of my parents and older sister, um, but God had something else in plan for me. It wasn't until I did further training through YWAM that I realized that what I thought my life would look like in California— Um, was a completely different direction and trajectory. And so I just took one step at a time, and God led me each time to just do the next thing, and that ultimately led me to move to Cambodia and raise my kids there. What is your day-to-day in Cambodia look like? Like, what what is your ministry look like there? We help run a, a large YWAM training campus in Cambodia, which is focused on kind of two different pieces. One is training up local leaders to be in long-term ministry and missions, as well as people from the surrounding nations come. And then 
in that same space, we have a 13-acre campus, and we run like a community center with literally of hundreds of kids coming onto our campus doing educational projects, a lot of sports. We run a soccer league with 800 kids in it, an oh English school with 400 kids in it. <laughs> the majority of my time at this point is really trying to be behind the scenes coaching local leaders to, to lead the ministry forward. Yeah, I help um, just bring oversight to a primary Christian school on our campus. So um, we have this school year 61 kids. You know, we first started it off as a place where families that are in missions can send their kids to. Quickly through word of mouth, local families heard about the school. And so actually now over 50% of the demographics are um, local Cambodian Buddhist families knowing that we teach from a biblical worldview. So it's a really neat opportunity to share about Jesus. What is the draw for a local Cambodian Buddhist fan? Like, mm-hmm. like, do they see it as a Western? This mm-hmm. is a, a better education for mm-hmm. my child. Do they see it as a Christian thing and they want their child exposed mm-hmm. to that? Or how do they, What what's the, yeah. what's your marketing campaign to them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't advertise at all. So it's all word of mouth. And honestly, we have these families that come and they say, you know, what their real draw is actually the teachers that come from Western countries that English is their native mm-hmm. uh, language, and they want their child to learn from a, a teacher that speaks English perfectly. But I would also say on the flip side, they also see that the Bible, there's morals, there's they're teaching their kids about honesty, integrity, these foundational um, pieces that they want their child to know from the get-go. And it has been an, a great opportunity for us to be able to rub shoulders with those that um, have yet to know Jesus, but that we see as an opportunity to educate their children. Absolutely. Let's talk about Cambodia, because I, I think for it's not a country that's on the Voice of the Martyrs prayer map. Mm-hmm. It's not a place where we regularly see, you know, intense persecution. Yeah. But obviously you're surrounded by neighbors that are. But yeah. for most of our listeners, I, I think they would think about the killing fields. They would think about the Khmer Rouge. Mm-hmm. They kind of have a picture of what Cambodia was maybe 35, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. How does that affect what you do today? But also, how is it today? What is Cambodia yeah. like today? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, for me, growing up in America in the 80s and 90s, I never even heard about the Khmer Rouge. You know, I think as people think about the Khmer Rouge, usually they think 1975 to 1979, two to three million people killed in a genocide. But when you take a step back and look at the whole of history in Cambodia, before that, there's a coup and the president's ousted. Before that, the Vietnam War is overflowing into Cambodia in the kind of mid to late 60s. And then after the Khmer Rouge loses power, then you've got a political struggle. The Khmer Rouge is still around until 97, and there's lots of political struggles until the early 2000s. So really, if we just think about 1975 to 1979, it's only just a microcosm. Mm -hmm. And really, from the mid-60s until the early 2000s, this nation is is really war-torn. In this generation, God's doing really, really good things. And so the last 20 years since we've been engaging in Cambodia, we have, you mentioned the killing fields, as one of our local leaders says, who kind of was raised up out of this wartime, because mo- most of our leaders are kind of between 20 and 40. And so they can still remember mm-hmm. tanks and war and bombing and shelling. And so that what they like to say is God is 
changing the killing fields to the living fields. And now we're really seeing as this younger generation comes up and gets a heart for missions, that same leader would say, and we're seeing the living fields become the sending fields. And so that's, that's really cool. But at the same time, I mean, you have a whole generation of most of these guys' parents that essentially live with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so that affects the, the reality of life incredibly. If you were to meet someone in Cambodia, like someone 55, 60, 70 years old, is that something they would talk about? Or is that like the hush, nobody ever talks about that anymore. That's the old days. Or would they say, I remember when the bombs were dropping. I remember what was going on. Yeah, I think typically at this point, people don't just start talking about it. But if you ask them their story, they'll all usually open up and talk about the story. And it's so incredible to hear each individual journey because you see God's hand of protection on their lives. And and you can sense that with believers because, I mean, pretty much anybody that's over 45 or ish, they walk through this thing. And even unbelievers, you're like, oh, God's hand of protection was definitely yeah. <laughs> over you as well. So, It's interesting to encounter the scar tissue that something like that leaves for mm. generations. Not, yeah. not, it's not like, you know, 10 years later, we just pretend that never happened. It, it lasts for generations. But as you say, God is redeeming that mm-hmm. and even raising up Cambodians now to go to some of the other nations. Mm-hmm. What... What does your training process look like? If I'm a young Cambodian believer and I say, hey, Garth, I want to come and I want to get trained, what does that look like? Yeah, great question. Um, like every Youth of the Mission campus, Discipleship Training School is kind of our what we call our front door. So everyone comes, does a five to six month, what we call DTS. And then we have a bunch of what we call secondary schools, biblical training, missions training that will prepare people to be launched into cross-cultural contexts. And so, like you said, we love to train up local leaders to go to some of the more closed countries that we're surrounded by. And that's one of our things is it's much easier for Asians to go into those closed countries. And so that's a real focus of of ours is training up locals to go into some of those closed places. And if, if I'm that young Cambodian... If I say to you, God's calling me to Vietnam or God's calling me to Laos, closed countries, versus God's calling me to Cambodia, does the training look any different or is it essentially the same training, regardless of if you're going to a closed nation or a more open one? Yeah. Um, I mean, similarities for sure, but with somebody going to a closed nation, we're definitely going to talk about the context of where they're going, prepare them training-wise for how to operate how do we deal with encountering a persecution? How are we wise? And usually we'll, we would get in close contact and mentorship with local leaders from that context so they can really understand how to operate well. So yeah, similar uh, basics of like discipleship training, biblical training, missions training, but then with the emphasis on working in a closed kind nation. Kind of context training uh, yes. added to that. Exactly. <laughs> So, Garth, let's talk about that that context training of a restricted nation. You might be arrested. You might be beaten by the police. You might end up in prison, maybe for a considerable amount of time. Mm. How do you train someone to think about those things as um, worthwhile sacrifices or worthwhile risks because the need for the gospel is so great. It mm. is kind of how do you how do you prepare someone 
to face the possibility of persecution? Yeah, it's a great question. It's never easy, but uh, and I think the reality is none of us really know how we'll respond to persecution until we're in that moment. But I'd say that the biggest thing for us is grounding people in God's word, um, because when we know God's word really, really well, we recognize, like I think Second Timothy three sixteen says. All that live a godly life will endure persecution. And so really grounding people in their faith biblically. And then in my journey, when I'm prepared for things mentally, I recognize it's easier for me to endure. So helping people realize like this is the context of where you're going. And so you must be mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared for these things. So I think a combination of those two things as well as what I previously mentioned helping them get around people that have journeyed in those locations, whatever that specific context as you were talking about contextual training is because each nation mm-hmm. is a bit different. Um, so I'd say those are some of the, the keys that we focus on. Are there some of your team that has gone out and has hit those hardships, you know, been arrested, been beaten up, been whatever, and maybe share some of those stories, but then how did they respond to that? Yeah. I think one of my favorite ones uh, is a guy that I've been walking with for almost like 18, 19 years. And I've just watched him in his nation um, continue to persevere despite the obstacles. And there was a time where he was, their church community was raided and he was arrested. And we were in contact at that point quite a bit, and and I heard that he had been arrested and was very, very concerned and heard nothing from him for like three weeks. And I got a text message, and his text message said, they caught us, but they can't stop us. And I thought, who? this, is, this sounds like, like the Apostle Paul or somebody, you know? Um, and really, these guys are the heroes of our faith. And later on when we sat down, he's like, yeah. So I was in jail for about three weeks, interrogated, questioned consistently. And then eventually they just they told me, we're going to release you because you keep sharing the gospel. And I, I believe he actually led one of the guards to the Lord as well as a number of the other people in the jail. <laughs> and his whole approach is like, you can set me free or you can lock me up, but I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. And uh, so that, I mean, these guys like personal friend, just walk, watching him walk in his context for two decades, just inspirational and really biblical. You know, when we look at the journey of the disciples in, in uh, the book of Acts, um, see that modeled for us. But it's amazing to see it lived out in yes. our modern day, right? I, I'm reminded we had contact with a lady in Southeast Asia. And after a few times that she had been detained, the the leader of the police made a rule that no policeman could interrogate her more than once because <laughs> because if she got two cracks at him, she tended to lead them to the Lord. It's like, you can only interrogate her once. After that, you're done. Send somebody else in the room. Um, and, and like you say, they're heroes that are living that out. How does that impact you guys when you hear a story like that? And you're serving in a frontline context, maybe not, hopefully you won't be arrested and, and beaten up because of the work you're doing. Hmm. But what does that do to your own desire to to get up in the morning and be faithful and do what the Lord's calling you to do? Hmm. Watching others persevere through hardships stirs us and going, Jesus is worthy. Probably everyone listening right now is going through some type of hardship in life whether it's concerns about 
children or older parents or, you know, there's always challenges in life. And so I think it helps us to have perspective and go, man, Jesus is worthy even in the midst of the challenges. And oftentimes it's nice to know I'm not the only person going through this. And wow, it's a lot harder actually for a lot of other people. So maybe I'm going to be okay. Jesus is faithful and he's worthy. So I think that's what it does in my spirit. I think for me, when I see, particularly in our location, it's much easier to train, to disciple, to mentor. And so for when I see, you know, ladies that are coming out from pretty rough backgrounds from closed nations, um, not being celebrated in their family because of their faith, but rather looked down upon or sometimes often ostracized from their communities because of their faith. I'm like, what an opportunity I have today to speak truth into this woman's life and the impact it could potentially have for what they're going to do in the future in their own home countries. So for me, that's what gets me pumped up about just waking up in the morning, talking and listening to a woman share their story, and then discipling them in what I know what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And planting seeds that are going to go across borders and across yeah. generations yeah. and yeah. all of those things. Uh-huh. And oftentimes they come to get trained for a short period of time. It's not like I have years and years to just do life and shoulder to shoulder with them. And so I realize this is the time. It's now. It may not ever come again. And so I, I need to take opportunity of that particular season where they're in our context and then sending them back out. When someone comes to you and wants to be trained up, what are the qualities that you really want to see in them that are kind of foundational to what you want to build on? Especially I'm thinking of a young person who comes mm-hmm. and says, hey, man, I, God's calling me. I want to go. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want to see to say, yes, this person is going to be able to endure, they're going to be faithful, and they're going to be successful in in the work that God's calling them to? It's mm, good. I would say first and foremost, let's start with foundations, character, integrity, consistency, because if we can get some of those disciplines down, then they're going to be able to endure the challenge, the uh, hardships. And then working on like vision and clarity and and what are we actually doing? Because it's, you know, I'm going to do mission work. Okay. Like in our day, in our world, that looks so different than maybe it did 30, 40 years ago. And so what is that going to look like? What is the vision? And like, let's get clarity on that. And hopefully then how can we build a team around you? Because longevity oftentimes has to do with community. And then how does that work in a closed country? And let's really start to navigate those waters because it's possible, but it's a lot harder, like Caroline just mentioned, than in our context. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I think also just a strong foundation in not only knowing God's word, but really understanding it and how to apply it in your day-to-day life. I think that's why we, you know, the various trainings that we have in Youth with a Mission, it's Biblically, (laughs) if we don't know the Bible, then what's the point, you know? Um, So I think for us, that's just the framework for all that we do is like, what does the Bible say and how can we actually apply it in our day-to-day life? What's the hardest part of your job? Or or maybe as you look back at the last 20 years, what's been the hardest season and, and what made it hard? I mean, I would say probably the last three years, honestly, have been some of the hardest years for us. A combination of a number of things, but COVID, I think, did a number on all of us. And the great thing about, I don't want to say the great thing about COVID, but the great thing about the season that we've walked through is everyone experienced it, right? And so 
uh, when we talk about that, everyone can relate in different ways. But I think that the combination of everything being shut down and opened back up, and we had so many restrictions in so many ways, but then that probably wasn't even the hardest, but the the pressure that COVID put on people and then stuff that came out of people and navigating those waters as a leader to your point, what's the hardest thing? I think the hardest thing in most ministry contexts, wherever you are, whether persecuted or free nations, is just loving people through the junk because it's just we're all human. So I think, um, you know, so often the challenges are um, just helping people in relationship as they go through struggles. Honestly, I think it's, yeah, when you're intentionally walking and discipling people, for me, it's women. I, I, uh, that's my draw. I think the hardest thing is when you're really starting to see change. You're still starting to see transformation in their lives. You're starting to see that the Word of God is becoming alive in their day-to-day life. And yet, like similar to what Gar said, we, we're human. We, we're broken people. I'm broken. I'm not perfect. And we make choices. And then when you see someone that you've walked so closely with make choices that are not in line with the word of God. It's really painful to see that. Mm. And um, so I think that for me has been the hardest thing. So in the midst of these difficulties, Mm. how has God ministered to you? Mm. Or how has God kept you going forward when maybe there's been days, and I can't imagine during COVID, there were certainly days you're like, I'm done. I just want to retire. I'm out of here. Let's go back and get a nice, comfortable job in America because— It's just too much. It's not worth it. Mm. Yeah. How did God kind of restore that fire and say, nope, another day, another day, another day, keep going? Yeah. I think for us, even during COVID, there is a time where we're like, man, we need like a reconfirmation, like some extra (laughs) grace from God. And and God showed up and, and met us in those times. I think part of it's being really honest about where we're at, uh, Unfortunately, I think sometimes the church has tra- trained us to sometimes fake it to make it, and that just never works, you know? So I think being really honest with ourselves, with others, with God about where we're at, and then going to God, and then surrounding ourselves with community, I think that's another thing that we saw through COVID. When isolation happens, it does not go well for people. And yeah. I think that's so often what ha- happens for leaders in general and especially in ministry is isolation is a way that the enemy attacks and takes people out. And I think for us personally, I think we've seen in the midst of some of those times, I think God's encouragement, whether reminding us of foundational times when God spoke to us, led us, and revisiting that, as well as seeing fruitfulness from previous years and hope in the next generation. So I just see God continuing to meet us in the midst of those times when we're really honest and surround ourselves with community and go after him. I think for myself, honestly, it's... Yeah, there's of course there's been days when I want to throw in the towel and say I'm done. However, I I've just seen too much too much miracles happen in our years in Cambodia and the people, the Khmer people are just some of the most resilient people I've met. And so for me I'm like, why would I not be investing my life discipling Cambodian women and for Garth Cambodian men just like investing into their lives cuz there is such potential in a country that is developing. It's still yet to be developed, but there's um, this window of opportunity that the gospel has to change the lives of my people. And if we're not intentional as a body of Christ, and we can completely miss that window. 
And so that's for me why on those hard days or moments or weeks <laughs> where I'm yeah, I have to continue to remind myself that. I yeah. think just one other thing that I think that we've seen is we've seen a lot of people throw in the towel and we've seen this temptation of the saying always goes, the grass is always greener and it's always not greener. And so right. I think that's a good reminder of going people that make impact oftentimes stay faithful to one thing and don't give up. And it, in our generation, especially it is. It's the way of this generation of I'm going to jump from one job to another, to another, to another. And yet when I see that, oftentimes there is very much a lack of results or impact out of that. And so just staying true, staying on the number that God's called you to, so to speak, I think is something that we've learned over the years. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about family, because you're raising your children in a different culture, different yep. context. Obviously, there's some challenges. I'm a missionary kid, so I can identify some of the challenges from that side. There's amazing blessings that come out of that. How do you how do you think of that as parents and as raising up children, raising up followers of Christ, raising up people in a different culture? Kind of just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we've seen it so beautifully modeled with our own parents. We've had some really great models. I mean, I'm from California. Garth is from Washington, but— we grew up in really, um, yeah, just a really loving environment. So how that translates to our family unit in Cambodia is very much the fruit of our own parents and how they continue to instill from a young age the love of God to serve the community, and um, but family first. And that has always been for us, like, despite what our responsibilities are, what various hats we wear, that our family will always be first. Um, we know how busy life gets, whether you live in North America or you live in Asia. So we Sabbath hard. We as a family, we love our Sabbaths and our kids know that. And they've known that for years that we talk about it. Um, these various conversations that we have with them over the dinner table, it's important to us that it's we're having conversations about the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. Mm -hmm. And there's no filtering or sheltering them that this is the world we live in. But how does God speak into those problems or issues? So for us, that's something that we've um, really, especially now that our kids are older, we have a, an 11 and almost nine-year-old that we we talk about those things. Why, why would we not? This right. is That's a safe place where they could share their thoughts and opinions and ask those questions in such formative years of their lives. So we're not perfect parents. We never will be. But um, I don't think there are any perfect. Yeah, parents. yeah. but um, we just keep yeah depending and relying on Jesus's leadership. I think uh, our parents were amazing, like Caroline said. But then I think we've learned a lot from some of our senior leaders in YWAM who have done this for years. And so I think that's one of the things that we've learned is we really need help. And so, like, let's ask questions. Let's get lots of mentors around us. So I think we've learned a ton from people who have lived cross-culturally and how to navigate that. And I think for us, we see the huge blessing it has been for our children and our family to live in a different nation. And yet they are kind of global citizens. I mean, our kids have been to every continent on this planet and uh, they've experienced the cultures and they are unique individuals in a really, really amazing way because of that. So we see it really as a blessing where most people are like, isn't that hard? And we're like, no, it's actually awesome because our, our kids have a deep awareness of the world that oftentimes I know I can just speak from my own journey. Like I didn't 
growing up in North America. I thought the kind of world rotated around America and, you know. It so doesn't? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think we've just seen a huge, the huge blessing um, and really training our kids to be biblically grounded. Our kids go to Cambodian school in the afternoon. We send them there because that's where they learn Khmer and they're full, fluent in the Cambodian language. But then they're like, oh, yeah, we learned all the dirty words in English from our friends there. So it's just like, <laughs> yeah, and that's the world, right? And right. so, like, that's how we engage and that's where we love people with Jesus. And so, yeah, it's been a journey and we're figuring it out. But, yeah, we really enjoy it, actually. It's a blessing. Garth and Caroline... There are people who listen, maybe are young people, maybe they're older people, but they're feeling that kind of tug. Oh, I wonder if God's calling us to go, maybe it's Cambodia, maybe it's Vietnam, maybe it's, who knows, the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Speak to them a little bit about next steps and how to think through that. Is, is God really calling us? Okay, where is he calling us? Just kind of give them some advice based on your own lives and your own experience. I think God uses young people. He did in the Bible— <laughs> He used a lot of just simple, normal, um, ignorant um, young people, and he uses all generations to impact and do his work um, around the world. I think for myself, the thing that I've seen in various conversations around the world with young people and inviting them into missions is um, oftentimes they're just trained from a young age that they what they want to do in life, whether they want to be a teacher, whether they want to be a doctor, whatever it is, that they must do it in their home country. And that, that would be my challenge I would pose back to them. Perhaps did you ever ask God, would you use my vocation in a different place? And I think that's where people can get really hung up as, well, I think it's just supposed to be here in America or here in South Korea. But in fact, he might actually be calling you to be, do that in a completely different context. And so that would be my piece of advice. So we work with Youth of the Mission. So you heard Caroline just give the, we believe in young people. We Amen. believe in God calling young people to missions. I'll give the flip side of things of there's a lot of people involved with YOM and involved in missions that are in maybe their retirement years. Retirement is amazing and can be incredibly awful from what I've seen if you don't have a purpose. And so I just encourage you, if you're young or if you're old and God is stirring your heart for missions in the nations, I would just say, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say the Holy Spirit wants to bring confirmation right now in your car or wherever you are, because just the fact that you're considering it, I believe is God is stirring you to get engaged. So next steps, you know, it could be a variety of things, whether it's going on a short-term mission trip to get exposure with your church, considering like short-term training, whether it's YWAM or different organizations to expose yourself to what it can look like to be long-term there's so many missions around the world where you can come and serve for a couple months. And I would just say, keep taking next steps and just see how God brings confirmation to all those questions of where and how and who, but especially back to the young people, God will train you in that journey. And to maybe the older people, God's already equipped you in so many ways that you can use those skills in the nations in this season of life. So just, yes, confirmation to encourage you keep taking steps forward wherever you're at. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. 
If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.